This episode is going to require a lot of editing. Here we go. Today is Monday, June 19th, 2017, and this is episode 194 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to Monday. I know, almost Tuesday, which is <laughs> one more day closer to the weekend, which I will probably will also work. So, You know, I thought we outlawed slavery. I kind of swore. Or are you more of an indentured servant at this point? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> did uh, Did you survive Father's Day? Which is, in, I think it's more of a U.S. only thing. But it, it is. Yeah. Uh, I so. got a uh, I got an awesome llama shirt from my uh, oldest son. So nice. Yeah. Good. Good. And the rest of my family is out of town. So. <laughs> That's their gift to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they, they leave town. <laughs> exactly. So um, just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. So having said that, um, I, you know, I have to say it was not a, a spectacularly, and, and I'm not saying this tongue in cheek this time, it wasn't a spectacularly newsworthy week. No, well, there, there were surprisingly, a, were a couple least, of interesting things that happened. But. At least we didn't find any too many good stories to talk about. Uh, so, so first, um, you know, the first story we have tonight, and this is a, a follow up from a long, long time ago, Heartbleed. So, you know, when when uh, when Heartbleed hit back in 2014, so that's that's three years ago, which is what is that like 21 years in internet years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. We 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 bemoaned the 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 fact that you know it it was such a high profile event, but you know really no one seemed to be attacked by it. But but here's the story, right? Three years later, mm-hmm. the, the title here this this comes from the Hot for Security blog, uh, and the title here is Heartbleed Still Hurting Hard. UK Council fined one hundred thousand pounds. That's really heavy. After data breach, apparently about thirty thousand emails were exposed in this breach. And so, so I guess what happened, you know, in kind of reading between the lines, they don't actually come out and say it. Uh, some some attacker was using Heartbleed to uh, you know, to get passwords off of their firewall, and and or, or either the firewall or their email server. Not entirely clear, uh, but anyway. Well, they, yeah, they mentioned the software firewall as what right. was unpatched. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily explain how they got the emails. So that's uh, true. Now but maybe, nonetheless, nonetheless, they started at the software box. Yes, right. Which I th- I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think can operate as an MX as well. Huh. Depending yeah. on the model. May have some some basic mail security features and can operate as an MX. Well, they they say that the attackers uh, re- 
it, the attacker informed the council that he had gained access to 16 user mailboxes by exploiting the vulnerability uh, in the vulnerable appliance. So, uh-huh. anyway, the attacker downloaded 30, <clears throat> excuse me, 30,000 emails, and uh, now they have a hundred thousand pound fine. So, so interesting, um, you know, follow up. It it does kind of show that yes. Sometimes these these big bad bugs that we make fun of actually can have a uh, you know a, a damaging effect on people. Now, what's not clear to me, by the way, is the timing of this. So, so they say that the you know Heartbleed was was announced on April seventh, and they have a a timeline here that says that on April seventeenth, they've the IT department of the city council figured out that their sonic wall was was vulnerable. And then on the 22nd of July, I guess they were contacted by the attacker. So it's not entirely clear to me, you know, on, on what timeline the uh, the attack took place. But it was clearly, you know, two months, three months, right? No, there's patch. an interesting detail in there, too, that one of the reasons it didn't get patched is they said that at on, on that April 17th date, the council was in the process of outsourcing the IT services to a third-party company from their internal IT department, yep. and the vulnerability was overlooked. That never happens. <laughs> Which is interesting in and of itself, of you know things being moved around and outsourced, what sort of things get overlooked. But you would think, in general, a competent outsourced company, one of the first things they would do would, would be take a inventory and version management of everything out there figure out what needs to be patched but what do i know well you know having a little bit of experience in that particular area uh i i can tell you that typically the the outsourcer is is very dependent on the customer in in terms of sure you know, providing information and and so you know a, a lot of times it can take quite some time after the startup of a, a you know, a, a new IT outsourcing engagement for all that stuff to be found. And, and you, you know, it typically also s- s- will say, you know, organizations usually don't outsource their IT because it's going great. <laughs> you know, and then they, they have it completely under under control. So, um, you know, that, that is often... Fair uh, enough. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it, it's usually, usually has problem, pre-existing problems, right, by the time they get there. The sad part is, is this is just going to hit the taxpayers of that city. Yeah, that's see that that part is what really amazes me about the the fines they levy against organizations like the the National Health Insurance and and these city councils because you know what do they do with the the well, proceeds uh, of the fine? <laughs> I get. I guess the theory is. Who knows? In this case, it might go into a general fund, or I have no idea. But see, I, if they were Americans, what they would do is they would turn it into a block grant, which they would then turn around and give to the city councils. But there would be strings attached. See, guys, get on that Parliament. You, you, there you go. There you go. We're, we're launching a new podcast about advising. <laughs> British municipalities in their governance. Or something. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> we'll call it American Blokes on British Politics. Yes. So um, so moving on to our next story, which comes from Threat Post. The, the first episode will be about our view of the royals. The title is Ransomware Attacks Hobbles Press 
prestigious university college in London. The second episode would be why we're so confused by the Royals. I, I, that one would be good to listen to, by the way. I'd listen to that. So, <laughs> Sorry, back back on your yeah, on your yeah. story. Yeah. So we're staying in we're staying in London, right? Or we're staying in England. One of the reasons I wanted to bring this one up is to fill time. Well, not only that, right? But because there was nothing else to talk about, but um, to make w- more fun of the UK. No, I, I, I'm actually I want to make fun of the media for a second, right? Because oh. when when this happened, and this article doesn't um, you know doesn't make this mistake, right? But when this story broke, which you know the story here is that you know some some number of systems on the, uh, this university's network were uh, you know were locked up in rans- for ransom. The, the the way it was being portrayed on social media was that they were under attack right and and it it there it, were cyber bombs being dropped on them <laughs> yes there's there's people like sniping there were cyber commandos storming their building right and installing ransomware on their systems and and what really happened probably they, they and they actually don't know they say in this email that or in this article they don't really know but they suspect it was probably some kind of an email based attack but it was certainly a quote zero day attack which means no, to, which means to correct it to correct it they thought it was email initially now they're saying it was likely some oh. sort of web based infection okay like right, a drive-by download or a pop-up or an ad or something like that, but they don't know where or how yet. Yeah. But yes, sorry, back to back to the zero day. Yeah, but it was a zero day, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I guess antivirus didn't pick it up. <laughs> right. Which, sure, I mean. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so by that by that measure, does that mean we have to actually have a floating scale of zero day, based from when first detected and no AV can pick it up till the last AV vendor gets it? That's a great question, by the way. Hmm. At, at what point do you start? And actually, the the purists, and I kind of subscribe to this line of thinking, would say that malware isn't. You know, zero day or not zero day. Zero days are vulnerabilities, right? That malware is just malware. True. So, especially with how incredibly easy it is to morph malware all the time, and how do you define a individual set of malware? Right. Uh, a particular hash. Well, that can be rotated every time it it spreads. Right. So, you know, I I would say there's really nothing particularly amazing and uh, revolutionary in this. Um, you know this the story here, other than to say this you know ransomware is as we predicted just the you know the bane of IT. Get Although I have heard some people starting to make noises that we've reached peak ransomware. I don't know about that, and here's I don't why. either. Here's why, because we're going to yeah. dovetail into this next story, <laughs> which is going to make you lose faith in humanity. You're assuming that I had faith in humanity. Well, I meant, I know you don't. I'm talking oh, to the oh. listeners. Well, you can see how I'd be confused. Yeah. You're uh, looking at me. You're talking to me. Uh, how I, could you maybe hold up a, a sign? We did have like puppets. Right. I could point to the puppets. 
Anyway, uh, the next story comes from securityweek.com. The title is Web Hosting Provider Pays $1 Million to Ransomware Attackers. That's huge. That is a big payout for ransomware. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of peak ransomware, right? Why do why do people do it, right? It's because that's it's profitable. And the the story here basically is this uh, web hosting company in South Korea called Nyana, as far as I can tell, that's how you pronounce it, um, had um, had a couple of their Linux-based web servers locked up, right? And the, the initial ransom demand was 550 Bitcoins, or $1.6 million at the time. Uh, that Although, although apparently the, uh, the company negotiated down to a low, low price of uh, 397.6 Bitcoins. Now, what's crazy is Bitcoin has been on a tear lately. Yeah. So I wonder how much it fluctuated during these negotiations. Uh, well, it, it, it's, it probably had a non-trivial effect, I'm thinking. I mean, it has tripled since April. Yeah. That's April nutty. 1st, it was $1,089 per Bitcoin on... June eleventh, it peaked at three thousand eighteen dollars a Bitcoin. Whew. Right now, it's sitting at uh, twenty five hundred seventy six. It it is crazy how it's accelerated, and and I do wonder if this is because of companies starting to hoard Bitcoin to deal with ransomware. It's a it's kind of a uh, almost like an insurance Supply market now. now. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's becoming a rare commodity, I guess. And so it. What's also interesting about this is, you know, we've started to, we've predicted in the past that this entire ransomware model is based upon trust that you're going to get your files back when you pay. And we're seeing more folks report major ransomware campaigns where they don't get their files back. Yeah, like one in this case. Well, you know, I heard multiple different versions of that. I heard that they that the the folks who did want to cry whoever that may be and some are speculating north korea but i am skeptical of that didn't have the infrastructure in place to handle the influx of requests that everything was done by hand yeah well that i i i know we're we're diverting a little bit but i had also heard that um they 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 didn't create separate Bitcoin wallets, right? So they, they really had no way to tell who paid and who didn't. Oops. And and so that was a, you know, kind of a, a, a fundamental flaw in the model. And actually, there was a, a story earlier this week that basically said that the, the, the hypothesis is that WannaCry was kind of under development and somebody, you know, <laughs> somehow it leaked out. It, it certainly feels that way. It was very sloppy. For as effective as its spread was, the rest of the execution on it was really sloppy. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but but you're right that uh, I I don't really know. Um, I everything I've read is that nobody, uh, you know, either nobody tried or the, the people I know put it this way: the people that I know who got wanna cried uh, didn't have to pay because they had backups. We know right. that some people did pay. There were I think one hundred forty thousand dollars in Bitcoin. That's still sitting out there, so you know I, I I'm not exactly sure how many, you know how many customers that equates to, but so in completely unrelated news, how is the new Bentley doing? <laughs> it's doing great. 
Yeah. 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 It's purring like a kitten. <laughs> uh, so. But back back to this story. Interesting that that they agreed to pay in three phases. Yeah. And also get progressively unransomware over three phases. Uh, and and the attackers are holding up their end of the bargain. Yeah. So there were, I, I guess there were th- this web hosting company had 3,400 uh, business websites. And, and I, I guess uh, no backups. You know, that, that's what kills me, by the way. What kind of backup system can you buy for a million bucks? Well, here's the thing I always worry about with backups. Depending on how it's set up, if you're not doing versioning, you could end up backing up the encrypted version of the file over the unencrypted version of the file, and then it does you no good. No, Depending I, on how absolutely. aggressively you back up, when you do snapshots, all this sort of stuff. This is the challenge with, with backups that are meant to be helpful and capture changes. How aggressively you back it up may back up the encrypted file. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And actually, you know, that there are some details in this story which kind of lead you to believe they you know this company may not be on top of things yeah uh, so so they go on it, it you know, they go on to say well you what, well let me back up for a second one might think you know a company that's willing to pay a million dollars in bitcoins to get their files back you know it's probably a relatively sophisticated attack but you would be wrong because what I know because uh, this particular server was uh, running versions of Linux, Apache, and PHP f- uh, from 2006. Nice. And uh, include and, and included all of the uh, the requisite vulnerabilities in all of those packages. Uh, so Linux kernel 2.6.24.2, uh, Apache 1.3.36. I hadn't seen Apache one in a long, long. You know time. what? Their uptime was phenomenal, though. I. You know, actually, I suspect that may have been the point. But you know what? So, so here's what um, what really baffles me about this is how did such a, a dirt old system just now fall victim to this? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't. That's that part I don't understand. That that you know, if if the details here are true, which no reason to think that they wouldn't be. How could this be the first time this <laughs> this environment was compromised? Well, we don't know the exploit vector, do we? I don't. I don't think that. No. Um, yeah, the Apache was run as a user, and a local exploit may have also been used in the attack. Uh, this could very well started again as a phishing attack that came in, you know, through the side. It may not be that these could have been exposed to the internet and still been protected from most exploits through a how they were set up configured. They could have a WAF. They could have a WAF. You they could have you know, a WAF. Know. Right. So if, if they looked at it of a very strong perimeter, uh, which gave them a false sense of security in this case, uh, and which I see a lot, by the way. That particular design is very prevalent. It's the way we did things for many years. And it's sort of built into our DNA of security folks. So um, it would be immensely ironic and and a little perversely funny if they're running these dirt old versions of linux apache and php and they got owned by a phishing email <laughs> yes but i mean that's the only thing i can think of that goes to your question is if if these were that old why didn't they get popped from the internet before now maybe somehow their perimeter was just strong enough 
Yeah, it, it kind of makes me wonder if that is, in fact, what's going on. You know, but uh, but apparently, so the uh, you know the uh, whoever wrote this article did a little bit of poking on the server to figure out you know the the, the versions here. So it, it, at the very least, you know, a the servers were still still on that old version. Mm-hmm. And and B, uh, you know, the WAC you know, wasn't for, wasn't preventing for an extra for an extra hundred grand. The attackers would be happy to patch you. Oh my goodness. I I just think about you know. A million dollars, what you could do with the kinds of improvements you could make to your environment for a million bucks. And well, now, and this company, it'd be interesting to see how many of the business customers stay with them because I'm assuming they've had some serious downtime at this point. I, I would think. Yeah. No, it's no good. You know, the other thing I wanted to point out is that this particular version of ransomware went after Linux systems, which we've not reported on a ton on this show. It's correct. mainly been Windows boxes. So this was kind of interesting that they went after Linux. So, so what I found most fascinating, and you're on the, you're exactly on the point that I wanted to get to here. Oh, sorry. What? what no, no, you, it's good, good, uh, you know, good front man there. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing that fascinates me about this is, you know, whether this is a, um, a harbinger or, or maybe, you know, the, the, the thing that starts to draw attention to. Uh, an untapped market, right? I mean, there's a lot of Linux servers out there. There's a lot of badly configured Linux servers out there. And I mean a lot. That's true. And so this this seems like a whole new place to mine for gold or, or Bitcoin <laughs> or for, uh, you know, for the bad guys. Man, just, you know, patch your Wait. stuff. Goodness. Sometimes I think we're on the wrong side of this fight if we're in it for the money. Let's talk after. <laughs> so anyway, um, after having this discussion, I'm starting to wonder if the you know the old versions are a red herring and, and the actual attack happens some other way. Uh, who knows? I mean, without a full forensic analysis of the full attack, it's really tough to know. But it's telling typically of their overall hygiene to have such old versions in production. Yeah. I w- wouldn't it be funny if, if, uh, if some admin there was a, being a smart ass and they just, you know, they, they changed things. So to make it look like it were, it was dirt old. Oh, like, like false headers yeah. reporting back on services. Yeah. That would be pretty funny. It would be. Anyway, uh, moving on to our last story. So, so this one comes from the InfoSec Engineering blog, which is mine. So Jerry has a blog at InfoSec.Engineering. That's right. I, I, I'm not saying it's good, but it's there. That's right. So anyway, in the, in the wake of the most recent Microsoft patch that came out uh, last week, so a week ago tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have spoken with a number of different organizations and... and uh, I found an oddity in how they are prioritizing, and and I you know I guess I've seen this, and, and actually even participated in this, to some extent. But it really didn't hit me until I started to think about things through the context of um, of WannaCry and Eternal Blue and uh, MS seventeen ten. So things that are worms, basically. You know, yeah, wormable, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way that most organizations or maybe not 
because I'm, I'm going to get emails saying, well, that's not how we do it, right? but whatever. Um, I'm not saying everybody does it, okay? But, I, but I, you're seeing a trend of some. See, I see a lot of organizations take an approach where they, they, you know, they, they rank order their systems based on risk, and usually at the top is internet-facing, Yep. Right. And then they rank order patches that come out. And, you know, obviously at the top are the highs or criticals or whatever they, they call it. And so they, yeah. you know, because we, none of us have infinite numbers of resources, you know, we put time frames on, uh, you know, on, on each, you know, severity of vulnerability to tier of system. And so, you know, we might want to patch our internet facing systems within a day if it's a high priority or three days or a week or whatever. Right, mm-hmm. and and then it goes down from there. If it's you know if it's an internal system or a, a test system, you know, will will allow more time. But what what strikes me is that you know it, it it doesn't factor in the context of the vulnerability, and so if you right. if you take something like an SMB type vulnerability, you know it it would be different, I guess if you were exposing SMB to the internet, right? Then you would you'd be completely justified in saying, well, we should be patching our internet-facing systems, you know, post-haste. However, that's almost never the case, and for good reason, right? And so from that perspective, the most exposed systems to, you know, an SMB-type vulnerability, in my, in my thinking at least, are kind of the product the critical production systems that are accessible from your endpoints and I and I'm trying to be a little wishy-washy to account for the new cloud world we live in right where <laughs> there might not be a intranet or whatever right the systems that your uh, you know your workstations who are, are you know likely going to be the most likely thing to come in contact with a worm and that that would then propagate into you know some critical system so in my mind at least it's those critical internal servers that you know that, that make the most sense to patch and so so anyway i'm not picking on that particular point that the general I'm, I'm more in the general case that we should be taking a, 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 a to some extent kind of a critical look at what is the vulnerability addressing and is there a different way that we should be thinking about the priority of the systems that we're going to that we need to apply it to yeah yeah i completely agree with your point we have designed a static decision tree for reaction to patches based on an old model of attack surface and attack vector right and really what we should be doing is something like an ODA loop, uh, which if you're not familiar with the ODA loop, it was basically codified by an Air Force colonel, John Boyd, and it really was built around the concept of fighter pilots in combat. And it's observe, orient, decide, act. And so the concept is every time something happens, you observe it, you orient, you decide what you're going to do, and then you act. And in the concept of air-to-air combat, if you could speed up your ODA loop faster than your enemy, you can win. But 
you know, it's vogue now to take these concepts and scale them up and, and apply them to business. And you could say that we're not doing an ODA loop on patching. We're not doing an ODA loop on vulnerabilities. We are just simply reacting out of rote of a, of a design that is now out of date. Yeah, exactly. We, we've, we've created this heuristic that mm-hmm. we just, it, it's just become a habit. Well, because it allows you to decentralize it. You True. don't need smart people in the middle making decisions. You can just say, go, go forth and do. Right. Uh, and, and it worked for many years. Right. But I concur that it is now no longer viable. And this is a challenge, though, because it also was, just like you mentioned, a defense mechanism to overwhelming amount of patches coming in and limited amount of resources. I've got to get some level of prioritization. So it makes perfect sense to prioritize. The it, problem it, is we're not right. rethinking that prioritization. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that we, you know, that we have to get away from prioritizing. I think that's forever going to be the case. I mean, until we get a until until we reach that ut- utopia where we can just patch everything at once, mm-hmm. and it's all great, and and you know maybe maybe there are some organizations who who have reached that pinnacle of maturity, but I've not seen it. So we're we're you know in this position of of having to make decisions, and um, and, and I just think we need to do a better job. The the other thing oh. I noticed. Uh, one thing I want to oh, say, too, ahead. before we moved off that is part of the challenge I think we're having is that we don't really spend a lot of, uh, at least in most of the organizations I've observed, uh, smart, infosec, clueful resources on patching discussion. Right. This is an administration task given to the admins, the system admins. Right. So they may not be uh, trained or experienced or knowledgeable about the concept of attack vectors and wormability and all this sort of stuff to even understand that they should be making a different prioritization. So it's kind of unfair to them because we're asking them, yeah. not really, but we're sort of implicitly saying, well, why don't they know to understand this? Because it's a very arcane knowledge set that they don't have right? And, and shouldn't be expected to have. So in many ways, this goes back to, I'm starting to wonder if a centralized IT security organization is not ideal and we should be embedding smart IT security folks into different portions of the entire IT organization so that they can be there for every decision that goes on and influence that OTA loop within different parts of the organization as opposed to some sort of you know top-down hierarchy of only engaged security when X, Y, and Z happens. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think that given the, given the direction that IT generally is going, that that is the only thing that makes sense. I mean, the, the, you know, in, in many organizations, IT is becoming a very decentralized function that's embedded. You know, they're, they're either embedded in uh, business units or they're functionally aligned to business units in small teams, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to support some specific thing or, you know, to, to develop some specific thing. And I think that in general, the, the monolithic IT function doesn't make sense. Now, you know, having said that, I, I, I suspect there are some things that we're really going to have a hard time getting away from, like socks and, mm-hmm. you know, pen testing and stuff like that, where, you you know, you get economies of scale. But And, and I think those make sense. I think it's more the day-to-day decision-making that is not being well-informed by smart security decisions. Yeah. Be- because it's, again, it's an arcane skill set. 
uh, and I don't know. I, 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 I could get off on a long rant on this one and I need to think this through a little more, but um, something fundamentally I think is missing because of how much we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And the only thing I can come up with at this point is that the folks who are in that decision-making tree aren't being influenced and aren't aware or care or even know about the security implications of the decisions they're making. Right. So, I don't know. They're not incentivized to do that. So, so I mean, ultimately, I think the author of this blog just, you know, what does he know? What a jerk. <laughs> I did I did have one, one other quick mention of a story that's late-breaking. Apparently, sure. Qualys put this out. Uh, big privilege escalation bug in Unix. Uh for many, many, many Unix OSs, uh, Linux, OpenBSD, FreeBSD just came out. Um, Stack, cra- Stack Clash is the name of it. Let's say yeah, and, local uh, local privilege escalation, right? Yeah, yeah. So, not a huge deal as an initial attack vector, but privi- privilege escalations are a wonderful thing for the bad guys to have in their in their basket of tools when they've already established a foothold. Much like earlier, we were talking about that Apache running at that one uh, ransomware victim running as non-admin. But once you pop the user that's running as Apache and you drop to shell, then something like this is very handy to go to go to root. Yeah. You said it, you said it affects um, kind of basically all Unix. Linux, OpenBSD, FreeBSD. Uh, let's see. Oh, OpenBSD. Oh my goodness. Theo has got to be having a heart attack. Solaris as well. Wow. Red Hat, Suzy, Debian, Ubuntu. Holy cow. Uh, let's see. There are some gray beards getting their, their beards in a knot tonight. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I do have to give Qualys some credit. They did good work without, you know. <laughs> they didn't They didn't put a name on it, did they? Uh, oh, they did. They but did. But they, they, did. Didn't, they did taunt everybody and get them all worked up in Twitter beforehand and have a countdown clock or anything like that before they release their vulnerability. Oh, you know what? We're You know why this is happening, right? Hmm. Summer camp's coming. Ah, oh, indeed, indeed. So everybody's got to have something to talk about at summer camp. That's true. Hmm. That's true. So anyway, just came out. Didn't have a full story worked up on it, but something to look out for. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, speaking of patching, um, that new Microsoft vulnerability. I'm not going to say a lot, but I will say go patch. Which one in particular are we talking about? Uh, the, the 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 security advisory four zero two five six eight five. There are several um, vulnerabilities in there that seem particularly concerning to me. All right. So Jerry says, go patch. Get ye to the patchery. Get ye to the patchery. I, uh, I, yes. Just to be transparent, I fear, I fear WannaCry, uh, you know, WannaCry 2 electric boogaloo. <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And uh, anyway, <laughs> so that's, uh, that is the show. Indeed. Hey, can I give a, a quick, uh, quick humble brag? No. Okay. Go ahead. You sure? Yeah. All right. My book project that I've hinted at is finally out. It's available. Thank you. It's It was a two-year project because uh, I suck at it. 
and I have very patient and wonderful editors. It's online only. It's uh, available only exclusively through O'Reilly Safari Online, and it's about managing. It's called managing your digital legacy. I think we we changed the name a few times. So uh, what but is it's, the animal? <laughs> it's it's an unconnected Cat Five cord. Oh, okay. The original name was Sudden Disconnect. Ah, uh, see that would, that was pretty clever. It was, however. Uh, to be completely transparent uh, and honest, it, it didn't have the same search engine optimization. Yeah, yeah, friend- I can see that. Friendliness is managing digital leg- legacies. I could see that. So it's about it's all about them death, clicks. Yep. And and preparing for for an unexpected death with all of your online properties and passwords and and then you know if you happen to be going through that some tips and techniques and tricks to hopefully make it a little easier for you. Good deal. So, so yeah, I, uh, first you, time I've you done are it. an author now. That's awesome. It is. It is. Oddly, it's categorized under the topic of photography. Uh, it's far online right now. We're going to try and get that fixed. <laughs> I think, I think we confused their topic engine. Okay. That's interesting. I suggested to be under the topic of death and other fun things, but they, I don't think they have that category on Safari. They decline to agree with my recommendation at this time. Fascinating. By the way, um, you know, I I have been a customer of Safari for a while. It is quite expensive, but um, I find it to be very valuable. So, from an from an IT resource perspective, like I can't think of a better way to spend. I don't know. Was it three hundred three hundred fifty bucks? It's it's really good. Hey, free 30-day trial, too, if you just want to read my book. Well, that there you go. <laughs> there you go. But obviously, as I'm now a paid contributor to Safari Online, I, I would urge you to yeah. sign up. And this is my one paid commentary for the day. I'm just You're excited. You're a shill. You're a sellout. <sighs> That's true. See, I sold out and pumped my own blog, and now you're – anyway – here we you know, go. It's all downhill from here. The end is nigh. Before you know it, we're going to be advertising for Relief Factor. Jump the shark. Yep. <laughs> Audible ads, here we come. <laughs> Maybe Adam Carolla will add us to his podcasting empire. <laughs> anyway, I joke. We we uh, we love you. We will remain independent. It's true. And on that particular note, thank you very much to our Patreon donors. You allow us to remain independent. And if you're so inclined, you may add to our illustrious list of amazing people by donating to our Patreon campaign. That's right. And uh, also a reminder that we will be at uh, DerbyCon in September and at the O'Reilly Security Conference uh, on Halloween. And one more. Oh, that's right. Late breaking news. We're going breaking to Breaking news. Yeah. Need that need that breaking news sound, right? We're gonna be at Tactical Edge in I think it's March of next year in Bogota, Colombia. I know. That's kinda it's kinda scary. We're going to Colombia, man. I know. It's supposed to be really nice. I you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Mr. I just grew you know. And Mr. Oh, Rojas, the 80s. Yeah, yes. well, that's true. Mr. Rojas yeah. assures me that it's uh, it's wonderful. So, anyhow, so if you're interested in going to Colombia, check it out. Should be fun. There's going to be a bunch of us. I think uh, Mr. 
Mr. Martin is going. Yes, of Southern Fried Security Podcast fame. You should be there, so it should be should be a good time. Indeed. That's all I got. Anything else exciting uh, you want to mention? Um, nope. I'm good. <laughs> As the show just kind of peters out. Yep, yep. Anyway, you can find links to the stories we talked about tonight uh, on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. You can follow me on Twitter at Malicious Lincoln. With that, we will talk again next week. By the way, three weeks in a row, baby. It's almost a trend. So uh, the deal here is that the Gloucester, or Gloucester, I don't know, I guess, I don't know how you say that. My God, you're an American. I have what? I know. You just offended our entire UK listening audience. Sorry. <sighs> Sorry. I'll buy you a pint anyway. next time I, I see y'all. <laughs> anyway. Um, hey, give me that. Sorry. <laughs> Cat just stole something from my desk she shouldn't have. Hey. <laughs> this, this episode is going to require a lot of editing. <laughs> I'll leave it in. People like to know when Fiona comes for visits. That's she just true. grabbed a toothpick, which I did not need her chewing on. Oh yeah, that, that's bad. News. <laughs> she was very, she was very proud of herself. She's like, "Oh, look what I got! Look that's, what I have, Daddy!" I'm like, "No." That's totally bad news. <laughs> so, so this one comes from the InfoSecEngineering.com blog, which is mine. And the title is "Improving the, the Effectiveness of." Okay, hold up. Okay. That's not even your domain name. It is. InfoSecEngineering.com is not your domain. Uh, I'm sorry, InfoSec.Engineering. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to burn Way you. To I'm going to burn you. <laughs> scrub your own humble brag. Fuck. InfoSecEngineering.Engineering, right? There we go. <laughs> wow.